explain, I can't compromise And ride with me in my foul life Podcast World, what's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, subscribing, leaving us ratings and reviews. They mean a ton to us. Keep sending us the private message, the direct message of what guests you want to hear, what topics you want covered, and we'll keep it coming. We are going to continue our series of the essentials of duck hunting. You heard Rock Merlo, one of the top outfitters in the West United States, talk about the essential steps that he takes to make sure that his clients leave there with the best experience, that his guides are taken care of using the best equipment day in and day out. And we're going to keep covering it today. We are going to go over what is a favorite of a lot of duck hunters, a lot of goose hunters, a lot of waterfowlers as a whole. And that's the subject of decoys. And we have none other than the decoy master himself, the guy that you see issuing a ton of photography with Avery. He's been with Avery since I'm going to guess, and he's going to correct me on this, but I'm going to say 2000. I'm going to say that Travis started at Avery in 1999. Today's guest is Travis Mueller. He is a, I think territory manager is the correct term, but he's a Renaissance man in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, you name it. Travis does it. Turkeys and waterfowl are his specialty. Baseball is his other specialty. He's an ex-professional baseball player. Hails from the state of Iowa. Travis Mueller, welcome. Hey guys, how are you? How you doing, what, Chad? What's up, Trav? Not much, bud. Just hold are you up still the con- house. Are you still considered? We'll talk about the quarantine for a minute because it's it's right in turkey season. But are you still considered one of the most handsome guys in the outdoor industry? <laughs> no, I'm considered one of the most aging guys in the outdoor industry. Aging? What do you mean? You don't oh, look a day man. older than you did. What year did you? St- what I met you in 2000. Yeah, yeah. I started 2001. Actually, so, 2000, so you were a pro yeah. staffer in 2001. So, well. Well, yeah, my first day, believe it or not, was September 11th, 2001. I was no. in the Memphis office on that day. Yep. Really? You yep. were sitting with Tom Matthews when the planes hit the towers in New York? <laughs> yeah, I, I sure was. And and uh, the minute that happened, we watched for about five minutes, and he threw me the keys to his truck, and he said, go film up my truck because gas is going to skyrocket. And I looked at him, and I'm like, whatever. Literally got to the gas station. It was five bucks a gallon. Bam. Really? back in 2001 you know that fast yep that fast you can say what anybody can say what they want about that man but one thing he isn't is dumb i mean he might be dumb in some ways but he is a smart smart individual yeah oh yeah yep how often do you think about him do you ever think about him anymore oh yeah quite often especially when you know come turkey season rolls around stuff like that because this is his you know, I think, I assume it is. It's still his favorite time of the year. So, yeah, I mean, I think of him every now and then. The man taught all of us a lot. You know, nobody can deny that. Taught no. us how, you know, how to be and how not to be a lot of times. But, yeah, I think about him every now and then. Yeah, he, I, gave uh, us, I, hey, he gave us a start on a lot of things. So, I mean, he started a lot. It, well, what I accredit him for is strong pro staffs strong photography and marketing and having a lot of different content coming in from your pro staff and this, this huge network and community that he was building. He built a culture around Avery and then Greenhead gear to where, I mean, he had guys going out and working full days, you know, for a paid wage and then product on top of it. We were doing photography seminars and pro staff conventions. Remember, I mean, we were in Tunica at the pro staff convention and he, he was doing things way ahead of his time. And he, he was just a smart cat. And I think about him a lot. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, very, very intense moments, opt, you know, like positive and negative intensity with him. But oh, yeah. that can happen with anybody in business. Sure. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, we still have Alan. Alan's still grinding every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he sure is. Love having him in the office. 
what was your season so, like as a whole? As, when I talk to people, it man. seems like I hear a reoccurring theme of, man, the ducks just didn't move. They didn't get down, didn't have a lot of sunshine, didn't have a lot of weather up north. You, you have a pretty intricate network of duck hunting from Arkansas, Iowa. You travel quite a bit to hunt. You probably have a foothold on a lot of good hunts. Did you experience them as yeah. a whole the last two years? Did you have to work extra hard? Are you concentrating more on your boy and getting him? I know you're really getting him and he's addicted to it. Oh, but yeah. talk to me a little bit about your past couple seasons. You know, they weren't, you know, I, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. My, my last couple seasons were good. And um, I, I think a lot of it had to do with just pure dumb luck. You know, um, our, the, the ducks really migrated into Iowa early. You know, we had some pretty good early cold fronts uh, and, and we gained some ducks and held ducks for most of the year. And I think a lot of that negative publicity that you were hearing about really kept people away. You know me, I'm a public junkie. Uh, you know, I don't I don't have this private grandiose spot. I, I go hunt public ground because I think you work harder for them. I think you earn them more. You appreciate it more. I want my 12 year old kid you know to learn on public ground simply because that's how you learn to hunt you know you learn to hunt with people that are better than you i mean you know if, if you don't think there's other duck hunters that can be better than you then you've got a lot to learn you know it's kind of like the guys that say well I'm, i've never missed a turkey <laughs> well then you haven't turkey hunted enough you know it's just you can't in life i guess chad i mean you know you play baseball you can't ever quit learning you know and i think that's the one thing that i told my kid i go if you're gonna hunt public ground you got to keep learning you got to keep grinding you're gonna have bad days anybody that tells you that they had great days 60 days of the season is full of crap you know i mean i had a great day every day i hunted i didn't kill them every day but you know as you get older and you've <laughs> i guarantee you've learned this you tend to appreciate the little things way more than you ever did it's not about a killing you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody likes to pile them up every now and then, but it's more about, you know, showing my son how to blow a call or, or seeing that light bulb go off when he, when he can hit that feed and chuckle a little bit, you know, and it's the little things like that, that mean way more than a duck season, but I kind of got off base, you know, our season. Was oh, I like it. I like it. It's, it's, it's cool to hear you talk about that because I, I, I've been on this kick the last couple of years too of, I wish, you know, you always hear like in a Toby Keith lyric or whatever. I wish I knew now what I didn't know then. Yeah. Or I wish I knew what I know now back then. Yeah. And you know, it's about the pile picks and the limits and the, in all the reports when you're in your twenties or when I started duck hunting in my late twenties is you're so happy when you get them. And it seems like that's where all the pictures were. And then right. as you mature, you start to get into the, the, the real important things of the campfire, the dogs, the mm -hmm. conservation, the sweat equity that goes into making sure that this, this lifestyle and culture is around for generations to come. And I think like your son being 12, it'll be really cool to see, you know, like when he does get 18 and 20 and 21 and he's out with his buddies on his own hunts and stuff, hopefully he's, he matures faster than maybe you did. And maybe I did because I, I went through that stage and I think we have to of piling them up and piles make smiles and all that. But right. I like to see people catch on, catch the drift sooner of how important it is to think about conservation Without and giving back and, and habitat repair and egg salvage. And if a 20 year old can get that in his head and, and get that message out to his, oh. his comrades and hunting buddies, it's all that much better. Right. Yeah. Well think about the future of the sport, you know, I mean, that's, that's the big thing for me is I take as many of his friends that are comfortable going, you know, I won't bring a shotgun. They'll sit in the boat. It's all about to them. It's all about snacks and a good breakfast. You know, if we kill some, that's above and beyond. But 
it's so fun to see those kids, you know, see the little things about, about hunting, about the decoy spreads, about falling in, about how a marsh smells, you know I mean? How about, how much of that stuff did you, do you look back on and say, gosh, I didn't appreciate that. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but anybody that duck hunts that's listening says, man, I know exactly what he's talking about, about that marsh stinking, you know, about just the little things about how many mosquitoes there are, you know, Tom, He'll relate when you have a cell phone or a camera with you, you start taking pictures of cattails or, you know, a frog that's still running around in the fall. You don't, yeah, duck hunting's big, but I mean, you take pictures of, man, that's a great sunset. Look at the, look at the sand hills going across the marsh. You know, you're not even paying attention to necessarily the hunt, but you're paying attention to everything around you, the surroundings. And that's what I want kids to start to to see and appreciate because man it, it, it seems like you're seeing less and less children in the sport and maybe maybe i'm just my eyes are open a little bit more because i have a 12 year old um but man oh man that's the future of it sadly i know it can keep her rolling you have to and you got the, a big thing also a big push that that more and more people like yourself myself companies brands iconic brands if you will they need to they need to develop more and more mentorship programs. I think that mm-hmm. mentorship is key. Is I was talking to Tyler Jordan at Realtree and he made a comment on the podcast that you know his 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 he has brothers that are like six years old now. Bill had some kids later in life, right? right. And there's only one other kid in Tyler in Tyler's little brother's school that hunts, and that's in rural Georgia. Wow. Wow. And it, Are you so, me? Yeah, that's what he said. And I'm like, in rural Georgia, I could see that in like New York City or San sure, Francisco. Right. But that's scary that even in rural parts of the country that people are getting away from hunting and conservation and the outdoors and living off the land. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that mentorship mentality is so key and has to be so present because there, I can't tell you how many people I've sparked interest with by just taking them one time. There's this California waterfowl has this, this college hunter program. They bring out, they have a almost a 40% return rate where these, these, this is the most, one of the most liberal campuses in the country at UC Davis next to UC Berkeley. And they go into the biology program and they invite kids out juniors and seniors that they can come to this hunt and they got to put in an application. They take 40, 40 students a year. They come out to Bird Haven that Mr. Paul Bonderson owns in the Butte Sink of California. They teach them shotgun safety, ammunition, loading a gun, shooting a gun, leads, patterning, all that. Then they teach them processing and butchering of the bird, cooking the bird, eating the bird. And then they take them on a hunt the next day. Banded supplies all the waiters and we have all these kids out there. So I, I go down there to uh, participate the last couple of years and I take this girl out from, from California named Mandy Augusta, not a hunter at all. She's addicted now. She's texting me pictures of her diver <laughs> hunts with her fiance, more, getting more waiters getting taxidermy done these new recipes she's learning she's processing ducks with me on camera cutting their heads off and and plucking them and i look at that program and i'm like 40 percent of these kids buy a hunting license the next day and they none and none of them have ever hunted before that day and they're and they're almost graduated from college so that just shows you how strong and influential a mentorship program can be what a win-win you know? huge win and it's huge. it's 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 so cool to see how fired up they get and and i uh man it just when you talk to mandy you're like that is why 
you hunt. When I took my daughter, Alyssa, she's nine, Travis. I took her on her first youth hunt this year. She killed a canvasback bull and she enjoyed the entire trip, but she started bawling when that dog brought that duck back in and she shot it with a 410, perfect lead on it, 30 yards. And when I saw her reaction and Remy Warren was with us, it literally rejuvenated my love for out hunting. It really did because- Oh, I guarantee it. Doing what we've done, and you've been doing it as long as I have, working in this industry every day. And, you know, whether it's photo shoots or trade shows or consumer shows or dealer shows or buying group shows or photography, whatever it is, you can start to take it for granted. It can start to get repetitious. It can start to get, you know, old on you. Like I went to a phase where I was I was talking to somebody about when I used to travel to play summer baseball, I was playing in the Kansas League and you would drive by. Cabela's on I-80 in Nebraska once in a while. And it was a destination. I used to like go crazy when I'd see that bronze elk. And now, and now I look at a Cabela's when you drive by it and you're like, it's not the same anymore. It doesn't, it it doesn't hold. And I don't know if that's for everybody because of the internet and that, that it, and it's, you know, the, the whole transition with getting bought out. But I went to a part to where like, man, I hope I never see another box of waterfowl gear delivered to my house because it was, it wasn't overbearing. It was my attitude. It was getting salty because I was just like, man, this stuff is just every day. And once in a while you have to get kicked in the head a little bit like that youth hunt did to me or that mentorship and program in California. And I'm like, dude, this sport means everything. This lifestyle means everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%, you know, and you almost become numb to some things, you know, and, and that's what a 12 year old that is completely 100% ate up with it. As a matter of fact, when we get done, we're going to go down to the woods and we're going to try to roost a turkey. You know, he starts Friday. And I mean, it's just that's all he thinks about right now is all right, we got to get on this bird. We got to get on this bird. You know, Uncle Field sent him some mouth calls. He's been working on his mouth call and he's, he's just so ate up with it. As a matter of fact, Field's little boy shot his first turkey this weekend. But, oh, he did? Uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Had to call us and tell us it, it, it's just that little things. You're right. It's, it's not about us anymore. That's the craziest part about it is when they make it open your eyes to something, you realize that, you know, gone are the days where we got to get out at midnight and beat a guy to a spot. You know what? Let's just take our time. Let's, let's take it all in. Let's, you know, let's smell the surroundings. Let's enjoy the surroundings. Let's eat a big fat breakfast and not have to worry about the calories, you know, because I've got two kids that can't get a smile off their face and they're not behind the iPads or yeah. the iPods or whatever else. Or know? iPhones or whatever. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it could happen in any walk of life though, man. You get sure. so, I bet you that a baseball diamond becomes kind of just second nature repetitious to a big leaguer every day to where you and I and you're a ball player but when I walk into a, a yard I literally I have like this feeling of that fill the dreams movie come over me I'm like this is awesome and I yeah. get but I don't do it every day yeah. like they do so I'm yeah. sure that it happens in every walk of life but hunting is so special and mentorship programs are key youth hunt programs are key veteran programs are key introducing people to this sport or this lifestyle or this culture this community is key because that's all you can do you can't force them to come back right. But right. you can make a commitment to, to show new people and new blood what we're so accustomed to seeing that sometimes we take for granted. And that's what you're doing. You're doing that with your kid and his friends. And that's awesome. So we need more of that. We need more people introducing new people and shedding the right light on the on the community and the culture of yeah. there is a right way to portray a kill and a harvest and not show the gory and the blood. And nothing drives me more crazy. I was talking to Remy Warren Travis about I don't like seeing 
these slow motion videos of birds getting smoked all the time and put in and just, you know, feather puff and then shot again in the air. And then they're in the back of the truck and they're throwing them out, you know, like playing football right. with them. I'm like, look, that bird Respect. has already gone through hell respect and have some compassion for the bird and that because it's going to be a hunter that gets this privilege taken away i've yeah. said that a lot of times remy warren taught me that it's mm -hmm. going to be a hunter someday because we're not guaranteed the right to hunt and no. we have to have people like yourself teaching your son the right way like you're doing to uphold this legacy the right way right no it's, it is bush league you know i could have been i would have been good watching phil robertson and warren coco in slow motion what was that 20 years ago that, yeah. That's all I really needed. Thinking, yeah. looking back on it, I mean, that was as good as it got. It could have never gotten better. Best duck hunting video ever. Right, right. So, so anything else after that was just old hat, really. You know, it's like you're trying to. It's it's almost like trying to make a sequel of you know any movie out there, whether it be you know airplane or you know whatever. It just yeah. you can't make you sequels. Can't, stuff, you, you can't know? mess with the original. And I think that I just think that through social media that in this content driven society that we have to be more careful of what we put out there. I don't like seeing a coyote suffering in a snare trap. I get it. I understand predator management, but we don't have to show it in a light yeah. that makes it uncompassionate right. for that animal. I know that he's just a coyote. I, I have the utmost respect for coyotes. You know I do. But I love to hunt them and I love to manage them. But I don't right. need to see them suffer. So anyway, decoys. The essentials of duck hunting. Travis Mueller. Decoys are one of the things that when I discussed this with Rocky on Friday... You talk about evolvement in the sport and you talk about something that has totally evolved to a point to where it, since the year, I'm going to say 2000, 2001, somewhere in there, 2005, maybe decoys have literally became like the most real that they could possibly get without hunting over the real thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For, I mean, I mean, you could go back even further if you honestly think about it. You know, I grew up in the Mississippi and. You know, when I was growing up, there were spreads all up and down the river. It's progressively gotten worse and worse and worse in terms of hunters. But, you know, 95%, probably more than that, Chad, were black milk jugs, you yep. know? And, and I mean, I've had numerous old men come into shows that I'm working and stuff, and they look over all these decoys, and they're like, well, they look like ducks, but you know what? I've killed more mallards or more ducks over milk jugs than you'll ever kill over these pretty decoys, and they walk off, you know? <laughs> they it's walk so funny. off. But then their then their then their sons come up and they buy four to eight dozen. You know, it's just like you said, it's it's been a progression. And I mean, think about the decoys that we first came out with. You know, you and I, I mean, you were there, I believe, in Hollygrove at that meeting. Oh yeah. When Freddie was talking about those decoys, I'm like, man, those are the best things I've ever seen. And you look back on that and that decoy now compared to, you know, an XD Mallard. Eh. <laughs> Look it's at that no decoy. Look at the decoy you're holding up. Tell me what this is the pro grade XD Mallard floater. You're holding the Drake. There's a hen behind you. Yeah. That's then these are two years old. I mean, I, I just went down to the barn to get these and had to take the Texas rigs off. You know, I you, mean, you've been in you've been in the decoy game now since 2001. You were in retail before that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I so you've Shield, seen decoys. Shield, you've man. seen decoys over the last 20 years, more than 20 years. These oh, decoys yeah. you're holding now, and there's several manufacturers out there. You're specifically talking about Greenhead gear right here. Yeah, correct. Yeah. The way they swim, the way they look, the feather texture, the anatomically correct poses, poses the postures, the head positions. Um, 
does it get you excited to see that? Does when you when you set these in your in your decoy spread, and I love the photography you do, and I wish I, I want to go to some of those holes that you're hunting. The the I don't know if they're like oxbows or if they're offshoots of a river up where you're at, but they're beautiful. Are does the decoy get you excited still? Yeah, it really does. You know, probably because I'm a photographer as well. You know, but I mean, you know, there's not a bad photo. I mean, I can't. I, I can't tell you how many private messages I've received from people that say, you know, is that a duck? I mean, they're not duck hunters, you know, but it's such a, a learning process or it's, it's an opportunity to teach non-waterfowlers that no, these are decoys. These are what we fool real birds with. Um, but yeah, it, it really gets me excited. Every time we come out with a new decoy, we're coming out, you know, with quite a few new decoys this year, some new goose floaters, some pintails that pumps me up every time we come out with something we've made them so realistic and so good that they last forever. That's the only thing that doesn't pump me up. You know what I mean? I and mean, that sounds silly. People don't need to rebuy them. You're yeah. saying, Oh, cause you're yeah. in the business. Yeah. I'm in the business, but yeah, yeah they're, they're just, they're built, they're water. I mean, they're bulletproof. Like I said, those are two years old, Chad. And you know me, I mean, I duck on a fair amount. So it's not like I'm baby in these things, but you know? why do we have to get so close to the real thing when ducks have been being killed over decoy spreads for a long time? You've already said that. You've already said that, Travis. You've already told me that back in your Mississippi upbringing on the river that, that ducks were being killed over. And there was iconic brands, G&H and the Bigfoots and, 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 sure. and, 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 and herders and tons of different styles, Corkfield and, 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 and weighted kill and water kill and, and different textures on them. And there was decoys to where, you know, they were all black and you could buy decoy skins for them. What, why do we have to have such an advancement in our involvement all of the time? Is it because we have this mentality that we aren't going to stop until we reach the real thing? I mean, I'm talking to you from 1500 yeah. miles away. I can see you like we were sitting in a cafe together right now, or you were in my studio at this podcast. Technology's awesome. But in hunting, is there a such thing as that mentality of keep it raw a little bit? But then you're like, okay, well then don't use a Benelli, use a slingshot, right? <laughs> don't use ammo, don't use the best ammo in the world. Use, use something that's, that's, that's a rock or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Everything evolves. Yeah, and yeah. now you look at yeah. the duck spreads and it's tricking people. They think they're real birds. It happens to me all the time too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've taken a couple of buddies that are, you know, baseball players out for the first time. And I mean, they've rolled decoys. I mean, they've just flat shot them right on the ground, you know, but honestly, Chad, to answer your question it's human nature. I mean, I guarantee you've got the latest and greatest phone out there. So do I, I will say, and there have been days and you hunt a fair amount as well. There's been days where I've said, man, I wish I had, I wish I had two dozen more detailed or more realistic decoys in my spread than this eight to 10 dozen hodgepodge, six year old, seven year old faded flocked, whatever. I think there's a time and place for both. Do you not agree? I agree hundred percent. And I think yeah. that, I think that what you said brings up a great point too, is the, the, um, the realism now, but also the diversification and what you can get size difference, species, right. species specific, you know, like you, that's a weird word to say, but we're species specific now. Like sure. I was talking to Dave Stanley in a, in a podcast uh, and you know, Dave and John David, and he, mm -hmm. He mopped me up on that youth hunt the first morning because he brought more redheads and canvasback decoys to mix in with his mallards 
than I did. And they saw it. that white and the, he was, he had them. Yeah. So now you start to get into the involvement of the way the duck hunter thinks and how you have the opportunity to look even that more real in a public marsh of what you've already self admitted that you hunt mainly is public property. Mm -hmm. And now you can mix it up and look different from the guy next door to uh, where before uh, it was, it was kind of looking the same, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I, you know, as well as I do, you go up North and you look at a pothole in late October, early November, or heck in September, they do look all brown to you and I, a lot of them that early. I promise you those ducks know exactly what those ducks are. I mean, we've done it. I mean, I've set 12 wood ducks here, dozen penta or dozen teal over here and some gadwalls. Nine times out of 10, those ducks are landing with those species. All so, the time. All, all the time. time. Rocky I, I Merlo just, just said that. Blows my mind. Spoonbills. He, really? he, he bought two dozen spoonbills, put them out in this, and he put them out further from his spread, you know, just to make right. mix it up. And he couldn't kill the spoonbills. You know why? Because he put the decoys <laughs> too far away from gun range because he just thought he'd draw them in with the color. And those spoonbills went and landed with them every time. Sprig oh, do it. Sprig do it all the freaking time. time. Well, all Chad, the freaking time. how many times will you look in a marsh and you put binoculars up and I mean, you, boom, oh, there's some gadwalls. Oh, there's there's some teal over there. There's a wood, oh, there's a wood duck. I mean, it's, it's. I hate to use this word, but it's as segregated as you've ever seen in a marsh. I mean, they hang out with their groups, you know. Oh, they do. So Clicks. Why, not, why not mimic that? You know, that's the cool thing about greenhead gear, for example. Quick story. So I had the Wisconsin DNR call me last year, and, and they wanted one of each species for a youth program. They're trying to teach these kids identification species identification and he's like hey you know i've been looking at all these decoy companies and i'm telling you greenhead gear has everything we need from potholes you know from dabblers to divers late everything. season early season oh, yeah, color right. phases right so bam he's like i need one of each and i called down the office and you know alan's like absolutely i mean that's that's the future of our sport boom let's send them to him so i mean we got a box ready you know send them all the decoys got a big thank you card the kids loved it some yeah, hats, it, you know. I was talking to Tr Tyler at Traeger, and I think I've introduced you to Tyler, but you know, they have all these different pellets you know, for cooking different meats, sure. you do this for chicken, use a cherry wood, use an oak, use it. And, and then you go to the, the decoys, and that's what I'm talking about today with you is the essentials of decoys. Is if you're going to become, and I've, and I've always talked about. You don't have to be the perfect hunter. You don't have to be the best. There's no such thing. It's about having fun and, and learning every day and being a sponge and being coachable, but trying to become a perfectionist in your approach, in your presentation, like a fly fisherman. You're not going to be successful if you go over there and swat the water with your dry fly all the time. You're going to scare all the fish away before they right. even have a chance to see it. So right. with your presentation, why not work to take it to that level of like an athlete trains or as a businessman or an entrepreneurial spirit of America tries to grow their brand or their business? If you apply that to your hunt and you start to sound more like a duck, you start to hide better, you start to scout better, you start to cook better, process, butcher better, serve that bounty better, it's all full circle. So if you add in decoys and you can say, all right, well, we're going to go target mallards today, late season, but there's also cans moving through right now this time of year. And we put a half a dozen canvas back bulls in there with that white color and a couple hens. We look real. We are realistic because that's what's happening this time of year, maybe. I don't know, you know, specifically in Iowa, but a lot of places we hunt. And then you can you can change it up the very next week and say, we are we are going to go target early season teal or early. You know, you can go buy early season teal or put out all the hens to where they don't have the color phase change a lot of the time. Why not try to master that part of it of your look? 
Right. You know what I'm saying? You oh, want to yeah, you know exactly you are negotiating with ducks to get them to come into a place where they want to be. Your job is to let them still come in there in their comfort zone, not scare them away. That'd be like you walking into McDonald's because you love the golden arches and the Big Mac. And then you walk in and they spray you with a pressure washer to scare you away. Right. Well, that's not what's supposed to happen. I was here yesterday and I enjoyed the best Big Mac of my life and the best French fries ever. And now all of a sudden you're hitting me with a pressure washer. That's not good presentation. I'm out of here. I'm probably not coming back. And then they move on to the next spot and your buddy down the road gets them. So why not give yourself this advantage of like, look, I listened to Travis talk about this decoy presentation. I'm going to mix it up. So then you start moving into we have size we have different species we have different color phases and all of that like you did for the dnr and now you can start to trick them with different decoy rigs different recoil decoy setups um different shapes of your decoy spread different mechanical decoys different jerk rig opportunities there's all sorts of things in the you know quote unquote decoy world but even from the smallest things of how we store them now, you made a comment when you went to get these out of your barn. They're on a what? A quote unquote Texas rig, right? Yeah, hanging how, out. How we, if we would have had this when I started hunting, uh, I'd, dude, you know how I struggled with the crimps and all this stuff yeah, you and me for years. You remember how many decoys we used to put together just in yeah. the shop, oh, yeah. just in yeah, Memphis. We, yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd, we, what, we have six to eight spots in Holly, at, near Hollygrove and we had 28 dozen. I'll never forget it. 28 dozen decoys in each spot. And we literally had to crimp and put strap weights on each one. We Every one of them. Forevers. We didn't have nothing. We had, we had, we had line, we had crimps, we had strap weights and we just sat there and did it all flipping day. All day. Stuff that, you know, like my son, I don't know if he'll ever experience all that, you know I mean? But I mean, heck we can talk to our grandparents and our grand grandparents and, you know, we didn't experience Right. We didn't experience what they experienced. So, I mean, you know, you're always going to have that evolve, but you know, the funny thing or the thing that struck me when you were just talking was you're talking about evolving with the species of duck and you're trying to become a better hunter, but isn't funny. Isn't it funny to me how hunting relates into life and you know, you, you do the same thing in life. You got to work to, you know, kids aren't going to school right now. I wonder how many of them are having to do schoolwork. And if they're not, I wonder how many parents are having them do schoolwork. Yeah. My son's not playing baseball. I promise you, he's hitting every day. You know, that's the one thing that about this whole dilemma we got going on right now is work at getting better, you know, at, at whatever you do in life, whether it be golf, whether it be heck mowing your lawn, whether it be playing baseball like my son, work at making, getting better at it. It'd be very simple to you and I to sit back and sit in our desk and you know, eat snacks and, and do nothing all day. But I promise you, you're going to work out today. I worked out today. Got to keep working to get better. And that's the cool thing about our sport is it's just not duck hunting. It, 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 it relates to so much in life as well. You know? and, and I love how you're saying that because in life, in life, you can go through the motions and some stuff and get away with it. In hunting, you can go through the motions sometimes in your decoy and presentation and be yeah. successful every now and then. But the right. secret of it, is not to accept that so much and not Correct. to be so accepting of what you just said. Yeah, I could not work out for the next five days because my gym's not open right now, right? right. Well, I don't, I don't have a place to work out, really. Well, you have a fire pit that you can do box squats on. You have coolers that you can do one-legged squats on. You can sure. do lunges. You can do farmer's carries with the, you know, yep. get it done, right? So in, in hunting... You could go out there with a duck call that you haven't really been practicing on, make some sounds and a decoy spread that might not be the most realistic one. Everybody has to start somewhere and you're going to kill a couple ducks and get lucky. 
A couple right. weeks later, you might not get as lucky when they start to get seasoned a little bit yeah. and, and intelligent, right? So yeah. then you start to have to tell yourself, okay, I did get lucky a couple times, but now I have to start figuring out if I'm going to do this on Christmas day or the day after Christmas and have the same feeling I had back in October when I was in Canada, I better get better at some things. And that's what I'm saying is that you have to figure out what you want to put into that bank account and know when you are going to want to take something out of it. You can't just keep taking out of it and be like, Oh, I'm going to get lucky every time. I'm just going to keep writing checks and that people are going to keep taking them. No, pretty soon you're going to get, uh, get a call from that financial institution. They're going to be like, uh, Mr. Belding, you are overdrawn $9,000. You tr- you know what I'm saying? It's like you can't keep taking it out if you're not willing to put it in. So if you if you think about it in decoys, well, you know. Sadly, humans are creatures of habit. And, and I guarantee you, you know, duck hunters that are going to go to the same spot every day when they could go. They could go elsewhere. You know, I got a buddy that didn't hunt much last year. I'm like, well, why didn't you hunt? Well, it was, we were flooded. And I, I got what? Said, I said, what? Get a boat. Our permanent blind was underwater, so we couldn't hunt. I go, you got a boat to get to your permanent blind, right? Yeah. I go, why not go scout? I go, you're you're in an area that's got thousands of acres of public ground. Well, you know, it just, our spot was, was underwater. Yep. That's, that's like, the mentality. Wow. Yeah, it's a that's mentality. the mentality I'm talking. How many times have you been in the blind? I, and I keep referring to other conversations because I love talking about this stuff. Is I'm talking with Dave Stanley. He's 62 years old. John David's dad. I go. How many times have you been in the blind, even with me, Dave, and said, "Man, they're not doing it. Should we change something?" And then five minutes later, you're like, man, I'm wondering if we need to change the decoys. <laughs> and then at the end of the hunt and you don't need, uh, well, we didn't change anything. You know, it's like, it's like, no. you can't just go through the motions, get your ass up and change the decoy spread. Do something might have to change your hide. You might have to get in more shadows. If you're in the timber, everybody's standing on them front trees and they're not working in there. And then everybody's like, should we move back a couple? Nah, mm-hmm. man, let's just see right. one more flock. Right. The next right. flock comes right. in, they flare off. You're like, well, let's just see one more. No, move <laughs> back and get it done. Get yeah. it done of, of what it's going to take, you know, as long as it's safe. So that's with decoys. It's like there's so much thinking that can go into it. Now, the manufacturers, Greenhead Gear, have taken the guesswork out of getting a realistic decoy. We have no excuse of looking real anymore as a hunter. Correct. We look real. Now it's up to us on how do we put them in there? How do we think different? How do we think outside the box if we're hunting do we put some under these tree limbs over here with maybe a, a small mojo on a flasher over there on a floater rig where they're just seeing a subtle flash once in a while? We put our jerk string, maybe not necessarily in the kill hole every time, but we have it over here where it's creating ripples. Everybody has to understand about ripples and, and movement and how much ducks are really moving even when they're sleeping and kicking up sediments and the chocolate milk effect and making your decoy spread look real. It's an essential of success. You can't go out, throw them out into the cement, let them not move at all, and then sit there with your duck calling well on it and think that you're going to kill him you might kill one that just wanted to die that day he might have just been like you know what i give up it's cold out here and there's no corn but for the most part you're not going to get them if you don't take the steps to get them right no you're you're 100 right i mean it's like fishing you know somebody that does the same thing over and over and over and will not change there's so many different variables you can tell a guy hey Go to that pond. I'm, they're biting there. I just caught my limit. Well, that doesn't guarantee he's going to go catch them, you know, because there's so much more to it. Duck hunting's the same thing. You know, there's a guy, well, I, I, you know, the sun was in my eyes. Well, move. You know, there's so many different variables. Get in the shadow. How many times do you, well, I, you've hunted public. You know, you'll go through a marsh and it's a good northwest wind today and it's sunny and 
you go by three or four boats and they're all looking at you. And I mean, their faces look like flashlights because they're looking directly into that sun, right into the sun. Why not side swap them? Why not work a left to right or a yeah, right? Yeah, side shoot them or get a face mask. Right, right. <laughs> Just do the little extra. Go the little extra, you know, because that's where you're going you're gonna to go from, yeah, I scratched out four or five to, no, I, you know, we're done. We, we're, we're going to the cafe. People have to understand that. And duck hunters are the worst. You and I both know it, man. I mean, the old, I've had an old saying where you, you lock 10 deer hunters in a room and an hour later, they're all best friends. You know, you lock 10 duck hunters in a room. One may come out of their life. They're just bullheaded. Vicious. You know? Yeah, they really are. And, and the best part of working those shows like you and I have in the past is those kids or those younger hunters that come up and you can tell they've swallowed their pride. You can tell. And they're like, Hey, what would you do in this scenario? You know, I love hearing those, those, those conversations yep. because 100%. I've been with a group of guys, you know, in the industry and all four or five of us probably have a similar opinion, but there's a little different. There's little tweaks. So all four of us are learning, including the guy that really wanted to learn. You're always learning little tricks or little things that you yeah maybe that's a good idea you know well, te te teach us a couple things travis mueller what is a texas rig well texas rig is basically uh you dumb it down right so you have you've got a piece of mono you've got a, a a weight that's you know goes up and down heck i've got one right here you know texas rig is just this you've got one weight you've got mono you've got a loop to carry them to hold them so that loop right there has been crimped with a swivel correct already yep already so all comes like do. this correct so again so we have no excuse no you take it out of the box you put that in the eyelid of the duck the decoy of the keel correct yep of the keel you know and you're done that goes you're right done. there okay so 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 the theory is is you want the 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 swivel is already comes from the manufacturer on the loop end so now what it does is when you th when you take that that decoy and you toss it the weight sinks to the bottom obviously yep and then when you go to pick them up, that loop is right there to where you just right have there. to pick it up a little bit out of the water and put your finger through it or put your, put it yeah. back on, on the hook and you're out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes, you know, five minutes to do four or five dozen decoys where it'd take, I mean, how, whoever you know, invented oh this needs a Nobel peace prize. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It probably kept me hunting a lot longer now. <laughs> okay. So here, so you have a Texas rig. How are you transporting your decoys now, Travis? Back, there's so many different ways. There's decoy bags where you can put five dozen in them, which isn't, which isn't real good for a te Texas rig system. But um, is it a slotted decoy bag? What I know there's a lot of options out there. You can get a half dozen, a dozen. You can get, you can get big decoy bags. How are you transporting them? Are you taking them off a hook in the barn and throwing them in the boat that day? Or yeah. are you actually bagging your duck decoys no. still? I've gotten I've gotten out of that. It's more about, you know, time is too valuable for me to take time to do this anymore. You know, my son will get out of school at 230. We'll have an hour and a half or two hours. So I'm I mean, mine's a Texas rig. I loop them. I pull it through and I'm throwing it in the boat or I'm throwing it in the ranger and rolling again with decoys like these. I mean, you know, I showed them to you, Chad. This is two years old. Yeah, know? they've been beat up and they look yeah, perfect. Yeah, they've been beat up. So yeah. We do make slotted bags, and if I have FFDs, and I've got some, you know, some fully flocked floaters that I definitely bag just to, you know, have make to sure. bag FFD right yeah, now. Explain F explain FFD. So FFD is just a fully flocked decoy from tip to, you know, from from head to toe or head to tail. It's, it's flocked completely. Um, they man, they really really look good on the water. I mean, 
you 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 will notice if if you drive by with your boat and a spread, you drive by a spread, you will notice if they're flocked. I mean, it is very very very. What if you can't afford five dozen, Travis Mueller? Does it make sense to have no. one dozen FFD yeah. and four oh, yeah, dozen yeah. regular? Without a doubt, without you can a doubt. you that, can mix them. Yeah, and I'm telling you what, Chad. There's also days where you know this as well as I do. I mean, our good friend Freddie was a firm believer of the whole 18 pack. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, where, yeah late season i mean all these guys are running 20 30 dozen i mean how many times have you heard this from fred you know oh yeah i, I just did ff 18 ffds well there's some merit to that you know obviously it probably 19 or it could have been 36 you know but his point was you're talking 18 figures. not 18 dozen no 18 period 18 you know? period yeah but i mean if i was to ask you this question i'm sure you'd answer correctly it, what's more important than you know having a bunch of decoys it's being in the right place being in the right right spot you know go go where they want to be i mean there's days to where you know if you put your time in you know especially on public ground you can go to where those ducks want to be now i'm putting two dozen of the most realistic decoys i have if you're on the x or at least in between so if you if you a lot of manufacturers make fully flocked decoys they look unbelievable on the water unbelievable in the field if you're talking about a full body rig would you tell a consumer to at least get one dozen of both? If you're a Canada goose hunter or a speckle belly goose hunter, do you say get some FFDs to mix in with your plastics? Why not? Why not? I mean, you know, I grew up when I started first started goose hunting. I had, I, I didn't have money to buy full body decoys. You know, we were going to, to construction sites and finding plywood particle board, you know, and asking if we could have the scraps to cut out a silhouette of a goose and spray paint, you know, so as we as we started to evolve in terms of being better hunters, had paper outs, whatever, could afford it, we literally would go around and ask old ladies in the neighborhood if we could borrow their Bigfoots. You know how we had big people put them out in their yard for lawn ornaments. We'd ask them, hey, can we borrow? <laughs> we'd find six or eight, and that would be in our kill hole, Chad. And then at the end of the day, we'd have to go deliver them back in the yard. Did you, ever have bl- did you ever have blood on them when you took them back to the old lady? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I cut oh, my yeah. finger. Yeah, oh god, yeah. that's hilarious! It was so that that that's a that's a, a question because there's there that's like the all the ultimate to go into a, a retail location and say, man, I want to get some of them FFDs because the shelf appeal is unreal, the texture of them and the feel of them is unreal, and then when you literally put them on the water and or in the field and the sun hits them, you see a big big difference, right? Without without a doubt, yep yep, you see the difference, and you know the thing about FFDs for me um, that really raises the bar, I'd say, or or makes you gives you a step ahead or, or a point or two above the next guy um is they work sun wind or they sun cloudy it doesn't matter you know you can have ducks really work you well with ffds whether it's sunny cloudy snowing raining you know i mean i've i've been hunting on a real foggy day where i think that the decoys didn't work like the the ducks just had it figured out whether it be UV. I mean, I, you know, I've never asked the duck this question, so I don't know the answer. And I don't think anybody does. Everybody can have opinion, but something about that day, it was foggy. They just didn't want it. They didn't want to decoy, you know? So we went the next day, it was going to be like three days of straight fog, no wind. It's just terrible. One of those days where, you know, now you and I would probably stay home, but we just, I didn't have that luxury. I had three days off. We're going to go. So we put FFDs out the next day. And instead of those ducks, I mean, it was like somebody was punching them in the face, you know, at 45, 50 yards. 
that next day it was foggy and we put FFDs on. And I mean, I'm not saying they're landing in there, but they were giving us 25 yard shots, 20 yard shots before they figured out that game was up. Now, had we had some wind, it probably would have been that five, 10 yard shot, but no wind is tough. You know it. I mean, you can't, you can't hide everything that you want to with no wind. They just have time to pick you out. But those FFDs made a difference and got us dinner that night compared to the day, the day before when they wouldn't, and it's the same ducks, same ducks come up, same refuge. Two things that are coming to mind, listening to you talk, and I want to make sure that everybody's clear. First of all, keep this in the back of your mind so you're thinking about this, is frost. I want to talk about FFDs, plastic, frost. Is there a way to prevent fo- frost? Um, how detrimental frost can be on a morning hunt when the sun does come up. So be thinking about that. But I don't want people to get the misnotion of what you're saying, Travis, about decoy size spreads of if you're on them, you only need two dozens because they might watch a video of ours at Honey Break and you've been to Honey Break and we're hunting over 60 dozen decoys. And that's a completely different animal and the different flyway. So a lot of it's regional based, flyway based, blind placement. What, why, why? Yeah, hunting, public, private. But why would somebody like Honeybreak use so many decoys in an area of these blinds? And if you really break it down to what that land looked like before a lot of it was clear cut for farming and everything, they are in the natural hotbed of it where that water would build up, where those ducks would congregate. And so those ducks that have been going there, and you you know, it's called ancestral yeah, holes, right. is the flyways become ancestral and those the younger generations of those same ducks and their ancestors went there, they're going there and they're used to seeing big, big gatherings and congregations of ducks. So honey break, you won't go into one of their big blinds and not see a big decoy spread. When you go into some of their mallard holes, it's like what you're saying. There might be two dozen, three dozen, four dozen decoys. So you really have to, my point is, is it goes back to your son doesn't have to be hitting right now because his coach isn't making sure he is. But He's going to get it done. He's not going to go through the motions and he's going to do the best most that he can to become the most successful. Whether or not he's ever a first round draft pick, we don't know that yet, but he is putting himself in a position to be and to be the best hunter and have success. You got to do your due diligence. You have to get the, you have to f- investigate this stuff and be like, well, man, I really want to be more successful. I, the first thing I would tell somebody, Travis, and I'll let you talk is don't ever take the fun out of it, but work your butt off to become the best you can be at it. Cause you want to be successful more consistently. It's going to take a lot of effort without a doubt, without don't be afraid to get your teeth kicked in. You know, I mean, nobody is successful day in and day out. You know, the days that you're not successful is that are the days that you should learn, learn from it. You know, like, well, that guy, he, he kicked my ass today. He had two dozen goose floaters out. I didn't have any goose floaters out. The ducks like the geese. That's a whole nother story that you and I could talk about one of these days, you know, yeah. is, is just evolving your spreads. Evolving your spreads when goes back to one of the best spreads I've ever killed mallards over is a few mallard decoys with a, a, two swan decoys and a couple cans and, and a dozen coots. <laughs> And that's a public marsh out in Nevada. And the mallards came to it like it was like it it was nothing. And I think it was because coots are natural. These widgeon and these mallards are used to seeing coots on these public marshes. A lot of, you know, any marsh, really. Coots are everywhere. So just think about what you're trying to present. And that comes a lot with scouting. Don't just go out and go, oh, I saw some ducks going to there. We're going to hunt. Get some binoculars. Get up on a vantage point. Really do your best to get in there and see without scaring them and try to get a visual of what that those ducks look like naturally when they're out on that marsh. So it's it's all about becoming a better hunter daily by being a sponge and, and ingesting as much information you you can and putting it in your book in your arsenal right 
Yeah. Yeah. You need a journal. You know, I, honestly, I fought it for years and I've started to do a journal now where I, you know, certain days, water levels, um, wind compared to no wind, whatever. I, I've started keeping track of all that. One, it's, it's fun to see. It's crazy to see how close migrations fall year after year after year on certain within a week of each other. You know, that Halloween week anymore. And I don't know what it's like out where you live, but Halloween week in Iowa is traditionally a huge migration week, day in and day out, you know, year in and year out. So yeah, I mean, you've got to evolve, you've got to change, you you can't, again, like you and I talked about 15 minutes ago, you can't be a creature of habit when it comes to be, being a successful duck or goose hunter. You can't do it. Plain no, I agree. I love that creature of habit. I'm going to I'm going to use that. Don't take that. Don't trademark that, Travis. Okay. I've heard it before. You can't, you can't claim that. So Frost, what is this deal about Frost? And, and can you manage it? Do you take a, do you take a torch out? Do you, do you heat them up? Does fully flock decoys, does the flocking and the texturing of the flocking retain more heat, allowing, you know, not allowing frost to settle on there as much and not giving it as much sheen? Give me your advice to somebody that is hunting in a spot where they're putting their decoys out early, then the sun comes up, the birds are flaring off of them. I tell people, relax, be patient, let the light get right. Because when that sun first comes up, it's not the right light. It might not be, you know, there's a lot of things you learn about sun angles and how the decoys look to the live birds and, 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 and what they do on a cloudy day, as opposed to a sunny day and the UV light and why there, there's a lot of reason why ducks don't flare off. You might not kill them every day in the sunshine either, but you, I'd rather be in the sun, but with frost, what is there things to do to prevent it, manage it? What would you tell somebody? You know that. I'm with you. Heck, I remember the first time that we used a propane torch or a torch to get frost off was probably with you in Canada. And I look back on that and kind of giggle, you know, because frankly, we did that. I I think the first day we did that and it wasn't very good until the frost melted off. It it just wasn't, you know, and then all of a sudden they started working. The next day we left all of them in bags. We put the bags where we were going to put the decoys and waited as long as we could, you know, and then got them out as quick as we could. That was probably worked better and was less stressful than trying to run around with a flipping flammable propane torch and frost is frost. You know, I, I don't think there's any way around it. Yes, FFDs won't frost as fast as a plastic decoy. It's plain and simple because you've got that texture. You've got that that softness or that 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 texture to it. So, yeah, it, it won't hold frost, but it'll still get some frost. I mean, oh, if, you've got, if you've got a, a morning, a frosty morning, you know, there's no way around frost. There really is. And I don't care what anybody says, but FFDs will burn off so much faster right? Because their they're, FFDs tend to be a little bit darker. And that obviously, you know, as well as I do, I mean, you look at a worked up field with snow on it, and if it gets warm, that's the first one to melt off, you know, so that dark and that flocking will definitely get that, that, uh, that frost off sooner, without a doubt. What do you tell somebody as far as placement goes? Is it a guaranteed every time that you're going to do a J hook, the W, the X, you've heard them all, the, no, the horseshoe, but no. do you do family groups? Do you break them up? You, I mean, is there any consistency to it? Is it just spontaneous combustion to where you get out and it's just boom, 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 boom. How, what, how, what would you tell somebody that's listening to this podcast? That's going Chad and Travis, I'm starting next year. And it's going to be opening day on a public marsh. And I want you to talk about early season and then let's talk a little late season spread. But what do you tell that guy that's getting ready to start his first duck season? 
I tell them to go out to a marsh before the season and you need to look, you know, <laughs> you and I have learned the hard way. We've been doing this long enough to where, yeah, we've got tons of opinions, you know, early in the season. I mean, you can have the most realistic spread and mom and those 12 goslings are going to land 60 yards away and walk into you. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a world-class goose caller or just learned. It doesn't matter if your decoys are moving or not. She's going to land away from you because she doesn't want to be embarrassed and have her kids train wreck into 40 or 50 geese because they're not very good at flying yet. It has nothing to do with how good or how bad you look. It has to do with she's going to go land there and going to slowly walk in. And yeah, of course you'll have every now and then you'll finish a good group in the hole. But the more I hunt, Chad, the more I am, you know, there are probably people who'd be like, I can't believe you're saying this. The more I am not so keen on decoy placement, decoy placement. You, for example, you film a lot. So it is probably more important to you because it's not a bunch of guys just getting up blazing. You've got to get it to where that cameraman has a chance to get these kills on tape. Myself, my son, I get it to where he can come up and grind. You know what I'm saying? So for me, for example, if you and I walked out to a refuge right now, would there be any rhyme or reason to anything? It is a hodgepodge mess. They are landing on top. That always cracks me up. You know, I'll hunt with somebody that I haven't hunted with before or, or, you know, that's new and, and we'll be working a group of ducks and there's this lone tree right here. Right. And they're coming around and they ultimately don't finish. Oh man, they couldn't get around that tree. (laughs) And, and, (laughs) you know, all you can think of is like, man, I've seen them take down limbs to get in a hole. If they want to be in there, they're going to be in there. That's such a good point, man, because I just had it this year in Arkansas, a hunting buddy of mine's like, we got to get out of that tree. And I kept looking at him like, (laughs) I've seen them like break branches to get into a hole when they want to be in there. It's just something to where as a duck hunter, you, and I've, I've been that guy to where you're just like clinched up and you're so pissed and you're so frustrated. And I'm just like, just Brian Kelvington at federal always tells me this building, pump the brakes, not in hunting all the time, but just in business or life. He's like, pump the brakes, just relax. Because if you just let the sun come up a little bit more, I always tell people, wait till that sunshine gets on them. Wait till that sun. It's, it's a totally different ball game. They're going to act like mallards in a minute. Don't worry about right now. It's always blown my mind. And you've hunted Arkansas more than I have probably in the last 20 years. I've never understood the mentality of getting in there and getting out in the dark. I don't understand the majesty of that. I've never understood the mindset of an Arkansas duck hunter that will get in a fist fight at the boat ramp to get into a hole to kill him before the sun's even up and back to the boat ramp before anybody else is out there and not enjoy what a mallet of the show it puts on. It's almost like standing under a turkey roost and shooting him out of the tree and never yeah, getting right. to see one fan up. Oh, I, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with it. If you got to get in there and get them and get out, but I've never understood why the hustle and bustle to get in there and not even enjoy what you're supposed to be in there to enjoy and yeah. see it. Right. No, I agree, man. There's, there's nothing like that. Eight o'clock, eight 30, where you're sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, eating a Nutri-Grain bar or whatever, you know, having some, jer- some beef jerky and all of a sudden you're, you know, I mean, that's, when they see you before you see them and they don't give you a chance to screw it up, there's yep. nothing like it. There's nothing like it, you know? So I'll, I'm with you. I think that comes with age a little bit, you know? It's got to, right? It's For got sure. to. There were years that I, I, you know, my hunting partner and I, we, we, we took pleasure in getting out of there before the sun had really come up. And I look back and I go, man, that's so dumb. I mean, it's still good memories. Don't get me wrong. And, and that had a lot to do with hunting public. We just didn't want people to know where we were. Yeah. 
but again, you know, and, and, and like you said, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe there's guys that, that work at 10 o'clock in the morning, so they've got to get in and get out, yeah. you know, but if you have a day off and you have a 12 year old man, enjoy it, you know, let him miss. I mean, that's the best thing, you know, the first Turkey he missed. I mean, you would have thought that he failed fourth grade you know i mean i'm like man it won't be the last one i promise you i know you're i know you're a decoy business industry guy seller guy yeah do you have to have decoys in the flooded timber of arkansas travis to be successful you you just got to have movement you You do really like a current right yeah current or or, you know i mean how i I don't know how many times I've been motoring the boat out of a hole or into a hole and I have mallards breaking down in that motor wake. Yeah. I I learned it in the last five years that if, if it was legal to put an outboard on about seven different trees or a little trolling motor can you imagine? (laughs) and just have them strapped (laughs) to the tree and just have them pushing the water. It's like that movement of that water. It does something to ducks from up there to where they're coming to those trees. That's why I've always tell people Arkansas is an audio state. That's why the best duck callers in the world, in my opinion, come from that part of the country because they hear you way before they see if they ever see it all before they break the tree cap. And I just I just have always blown my mind that you'll go in and see eight, ten dozen decoys in a a timber hole. And I could see a big man made hole to where it's, you know, unnatural to where it's not just a slit or something that you're hunting. But Keith Allen taught me that eight years ago that he goes, watch this bub and just hit the duck call and kicked his feet and fricking they were landing on top of us. You're right. And you know, I'll play a little devil's advocate here. I have heard it used more and more black ducks in the woods. Um, I have a drone, you know, and I've driven the drone over the woods and I tell you what, there's, there's a lot of things that you see and colors one, you know, something that's not supposed to be there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you talked about, I don't know, at the beginning of this podcast talked about, you know, different colored water. You know, and I mean, that was the first thing I noticed when I'm driving that drone over the woods is ducks are there. And somebody will say, well, how do you know that? I go, well, look at everything around. It's clear water, except for that right there. It looks like chocolate milk. As you drop that drone closer and drone closer and closer and closer. What do you see? You see black ducks. You see a blonde mallard before you see anything else. You know, you see something that's not supposed to be there. So we've started putting some more black ducks in our spreads. You know, we came out that new XD mallard or black duck. And I think it's helped. I really do. I think it's helped, especially when you're working ducks that aren't, don't want to be there, you know, where you're running some traffic. So what was it? You, you just hit on a black duck. You, you are, you bring up such a good point that you notice the, you notice the off stuff more in a decoy spread than you notice the, the things that you're supposed to see, like the, the eight dozen mallard decoys or whatever. So why not, you know, be a little bit different. I think that's a huge lesson in decoying is, Think outside the box. Oh, 100%. And then you got the motion, right? You got the jerk rigs. We have, you know, you talk about jerk rigs and goose hunting, the flagging and how important flagging is. You taught me flag. Me and you learned flagging probably together back in the day and how deadly it truly was through Randy I Bartz. I remember that feeling. Randy yeah. Bartz would teach us and we'd go apply. I remember hunting in Iowa with you and just the geese eating up that double flag. And then, and then you have the motion of spinning wings and the whole mojo phenomenon and all of that. And people saying, well, I don't do it because they don't work. And I'm like, okay, well say that until you get invited on a pea field shooting, uh, Alberta or Saskatchewan or a cornfield shoot in North Dakota. When you put yourself with four mojos in a cornfield, you might never experience more powerful mallards in your life. I'm not saying that it's for everybody. And I'm surely not saying that it's for every day, but to get under that once or twice or five times a season is truly amazing and mojos have their place and so 
this whole decoying part of the essentials of duck hunting is so key and it's ever evolving right now. What, what can you tell us right now with greenhead gear and Avery and banded with, with anything new that we don't know about? Or is there any surprises for the 2020, 21 duck season, anything that you're excited about that we don't know about or that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, there, there is, you know, decoys, like you said at the beginning, continue to evolve and get better and better and better. You know, the one big beef I've always had with our decoys, has been with the goose floater and having heads that screw on and off a goose floater. It's not a good combination. You throw the decoys into the boat, you take the decoys out of the boat. It's inevitable. You will break heads on goose on a goose floater, no, sure. no matter what. I'm a huge fan of goose floaters. One, they're bigger Two, they're higher visibility. Three, they're, they tend to be for me or for, for what I believe to be a comfort thing for mallards. Mallards land with the king, and the king can generally be, especially in the Midwest, geese, Canada geese. So we came out with a goose floater this year that is all one piece, and it is beautiful. And I'm excited, really excited. You know, the one thing you know, being, you know, you, you know how green headgear is, there's not a person that works for the company that doesn't hunt. Not one. No. So we have been using these decoys. You know, I know Phil's had some. I've had some. We've had them for quite a while, and we have been putting them through the ringer. And that's one thing I love about our company is that we we always we all have to believe in something before we say, "Hey, let's put this on the market." You know, have we made a mistake? Sure, sure. Again, if you don't make mistakes, you're not growing as a human. No but we're getting better and better and better and better. And these goose floaters are badass. And they're released to this year. retail the stores. will have this them summer. this year. Yeah. June probably. Yeah. How yeah. awesome is that? It is pretty awesome. What's your, who's your favorite dealer in the country right now? Who's, who's my, who? who are the go-tos right now for dealers in the country for waterfowl advice, waterfowl instruction, waterfowl as you know, just a plentiful supply and inventory and a diverse selection website that can get on an order. I, uh, Max is, is always there, but yeah. who are oh, yeah. you? You live in a place, uh, you live close to one of the top in the country now too, right? With Rogers. Rogers. Sure. Yeah. Rogers. Chad, there's a bunch of good ones. You know, that's the cool thing about the, you know, you can walk in a family, you know, Presley's there in Peoria. I mean, yeah, they're one of our customers, but they're, you know, Kelly's one of my best friends. I mean, you know, him and I, we battle back and forth like we're a husband and wife type deal. You know, I've got that relationship with Rogers as well. Stevie and I have a great working relationship. You know, you deal with people like that. You know, even Chuck and Max. I mean, you can walk in and talk to Chuck on the floor and he'll give you any advice you want. He might you be know? the hardest working guy in the industry. Without might be. He's he, amazing. He is amazing. But, you know, I mean, you can talk to these guys and and all the people I just mentioned are all waterfowlers. They all duck hunt. So they're going to have opinions. They're going to have, you know, success stories. They're going to have failure stories. That's the coolest thing about this industry or about waterfowling in general is people don't realize how small niche it is and how everybody knows everybody. And if you want to learn something or you want to, for example, if you want 20 different opinions, you'll get it in this industry, you know? And I've always said, not everybody, not one person is 100% right. Not one person is 100% wrong. They've all got some validity in what they say. You've just got to sift through that BS or that quote unquote knowledge and take what you can relate to or what you can build off of and become a better waterfowler. 
You know, I mean, you and I have gone up, grown up through the industry where we have learned duck hunting from some of the best, some of the best out there, duck and goose hunting. I mean, I could rattle off names all day long. You know them. You've been associated with them. Uh, I never took that for granted, ever, ever. And because of that, I've become a, a much better waterfowler and more patient waterfowler because I've learned from the best, as have you. The cool thing is with these podcasts and Facebook and YouTube, my God, man, you don't have to know these guys like you and I do to learn from it. You don't have to know you, Chad. I mean, somebody doesn't have to say, I'm a good friends with Chad to learn from you. I mean, you can get on YouTube. My kid, my kid watches the file life all the time. All the time. I'll come down. He's eating breakfast, watching the file life. Hey dad, do you know Chad building? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Chad. you know, he's like, Oh, you do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. You know, I mean, he doesn't even understand that, you know, you've grabbed a bag full of mud and run it up and down my stairs and piss my wife off. He doesn't know that. <laughs> you know? Does she still hold that against me? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's downstairs. She come up here. She'd be like, Oh, there's Chaz. And go back she's she's like, still nah, that mad at me. That's been that's over like that was 15 years ago. I bet. But you know, I mean, just, you know who I saw in November in, in uh, Eastern shore, the Chesapeake waterfowl festival. I was emceeing the world goose out there and I was in the booth for Molly sporting goods with Wayne Radcliffe. And I'm, and I, and I recognize this voice and I turn around, I was talking to cheek cheeky, the uh, owner, Chicky, the owner of Molly's. And I turn around and I'm like, what in the f are you doing here? And it was Moats. Scott Moats. Dude, he was standing there with his girl. And I was like, what are you at all, all the places in the world to see Scott Moats? What are you doing in Baltimore area of the Chesapeake Bay on the eastern shore of Maryland? And you're from Alabama and you work in Arkansas. I was like, what are you doing here? I just it brought back the only memory I could think of. And I went right to him and his girlfriend. I go, every time I think of you, Moats, I think about the ironing board at NBS in Fort Worth when me, you and Mueller shared the room. And he just <laughs> he just started laughing. He knew exactly what I was talking about. I don't like listening to podcasts where there's a lot of inside the humor. You know, like that was an inside sure. story. So I right. apologize to the audience. <laughs> One day when you meet Travis and I out at a show or something, just ask us and we'll tell you the, oh, the details. But yeah, Scott Motes was in Baltimore. I love that dude. But man, I don't know. I think that decoys, they play a prime and a, a, a very upfront and personal role in a man's uh, duck hunting. He takes pride in his arse. He starts getting them ready in July, August and washing them off and painting them. And if you go and if you go to the Eastern shore, like we just talked about in reference and, and you meet the Job's family and carving decoys and guys that still carve their own decoys and hunt over them. The history of decoys is awesome. We don't get into any of that on this podcast. Cause I really wanted to hit on the things we did. Why is it essential to, Find out what the good decoys are. What does that manufacturer offer? The different species, species specific, the different sizing. Do they have goose and duck? And when it comes to goose, do they have lessers and greater cannons? Do they have floaters? Do they have, do they do, do they offer full bodies? Do they have specs? Do they have fully flocked? Do they have snows? Do they have floating mallards and full body mallards and full bodies? But Greenhead Gear does it all. It's a place where you could go and say, all right, no matter what dealer you walk in or catalog or website you shop upon, Greenhead Gear offers it all. We have no excuses, duck hunters anymore, not to look real as far as the presentation of the actual decoy. Now it's up to us to learn from guys like Travis Mueller saying, look, 
the placement of them, the jerk rigs, the, the, the Texas rigs, how you get your decoys in and out of a field, how to make it easier on you, how you store your decoys in the off season. That's something we didn't cover. What are you doing right now to, to when it starts to go from the, the, the negative seven degree days in Iowa, and then it goes into spring. And then all of a sudden it's a hundred degrees in Iowa. How are you storing them? And what do you want to do, do you, yeah, inside right. or what? It's funny you said you bring that up. Cause yesterday we had a beautiful day here in Iowa. And I cleaned out the barn and my barn's not heated. It's just an old, you know, old cattle barn. Um, but I hang all my, all my duck decoys up, you know, off the hook. I hang them all up. I let all the Texas rigs stretch out, you know, so there's not memory in the line. Um, the beauty of having a 12 year old is guess what? He gets to spray them off. He gets to bristle brush them. He gets to do all that, but you're right, man. I mean, think about, there's no excuse. Why not have all the tools? Why not match the hatch? As people say, why not do the little things or have all the, the toys and, and have all the stuff? If, if, you know, if you've got an extra 30, 40 bucks, why not buy a couple slotted bags just in case? Why not buy, you know, a quick rig system or a jerk rig, you know, something like that. Have all the tools having them you know i had somebody come in the barn yesterday the other day and he's like man you got a lot of decoys you use all these not every day i don't but why not have them just in case i do you know my son one of these days is like man i'd love to put all these decoys out one day <laughs> i'm like well i'll wait until you can drive and have buddies because i am not going to put all these decoys out but he's right i mean how badass would it be to put them all out one time you know and take some cool photos and and just have that spread, that powerful spread, because nobody does that here in Iowa. This isn't, you know, Iowa's not like Arkansas. You know, you don't have these big, huge permanent spreads per se around. So, yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for not having all the essential tools or having the ammo to, to be successful when, when they're out there. You can get them. You can get them. So. I agree. Are you um, still a huge fan of Chinese food buffets? Oh my gosh, this sounds you, so good. You, so good right now. So you literally good. like introduced. How do you not like a Chinese buffet? I How think do I don't. Like I don't it? know if I ever ate at one before I met you though. And then we would go there in Memphis, and you. I think you taught me how to eat the China buffet and how to oh, how to true. how to really make your plate ready to roll, and how to even go back for seconds sometimes. You're not a pacer. I know you. I mean, you eat. I don't know if you still do, but but the chat I used to know would eat eight times a day. These little snacks. I still do. Food. You still do. Yeah. What yeah. is what is your nutrition like these days? Well, pre-quarantine or post-quarantine? Because, oh, I, I, you know, I'm 45 years old, so I've got to really be careful what I eat. Um, but, yeah, I, I put it away still. <laughs> do you like sushi still? Oh, my gosh. I'm addicted. I am absolutely oh. addicted. Do you still have your own chopsticks? Yes. And my name on a couple different it's menus terrible. now. Not just one restaurant now. You I have my. I got roll. rolls on a couple roll. different. I got Named my own after roll. You? Chad yes. roll. That's terrible. Terrible. And I By have the, the bon, And I have the bonsai roll. Oh good lord! I can only imagine. It's so good, dude. <laughs> God, I'm starving right now uh, for sushi. Do you have a place that has carry out to where you could go get it? Yeah. It's just not the same though. Just not. No, the same. but how? Let we'll we'll end it on the quarantine about. Do you trust that right now? I want to support all the restaurants, but I've been buying gift cards to use later on to where they're still getting some revenue right now. Do you want somebody handling your food and breathing on it or a hair falling in it? Is that okay right now? I'm not trying to be over no, the no, top no, no, careful, no. but and that's fine. I, I totally agree with you. You know, the crazy part is, I mean, you went to shot, you went to NWTF. Did you get the flu? That what you thought was the flu? I, I'm just curious. And I'm not, no, I'm not a conspiracy theory type guy, 
I know that I know that my I know that myself, my brothers, several people that ran in my circle were ill that that we got some sickness in us around from Christmas to February 1st. Yeah, so did I. I came back from uh, Sports Inc. Phoenix. That was around February, around Valentine's Day. And I mean, I was coughing razor blades. And that was before they even said it was in the United States or North America, you know. Um, So, no, I, you know, I'll still get carry out. I, you know, I'll wash my hands and I'll I'll do the, the, the stuff that they tell us to. But you know, I don't know the right answer. You know, I, I read something today, though, that they, you know, and you can look it up. They, they talked about this coronavirus. You know, if you had something late fall, early winter, it's possible it could have been coronavirus. And they had, they're doing more studies on it. I'm like, man, I was bad. I mean, not bad, bad, but I 101 temp, 100 temp, felt, yep. you know, down. And it hurt to cough. So you you wonder, you look back on that and wonder, you know, if it, if it was around a lot sooner, you know, you always heard these numbers, oh, there's 300 cases in China. Well, you and I both know that 300 was probably 3,000 3 or yep. mil- yeah, 30,000 yeah. or whatever. So you wonder if it's been around a lot longer, you know, I mean, what, what caused, what caused somebody in China to say, well, let's check for coronavirus. You know what I mean? I mean, why? Yeah. It's just, there's a lot of, there's, yeah, I don't even want to get into the conspiracy yeah, theories. Good Lord, man. It's just so I, I, we need to be careful. We need to distance. We need to get it over with. Um, we just need baseball back because uh, oh. this is no, I went, to, I went to spring training and I got off the plane in Phoenix. And I, the first thing that I see is a news report, all spring training canceled. I went, what? Like not like the day I landed in Scottsdale, Phoenix, Travis, I was all, uh, and I still got to get some work done down there and see some players and hang out. But it was the most, it was the weirdest feeling to walk around Scottsdale and all of the surrounding areas of Phoenix, like surprise and Peoria and everywhere. And not be able to have a cold beer but watching the game and not hear that crack of that bat and it was just it was baseball is that shows you it's just it means that much to me and a lot of other people obviously but i cannot wait to have baseball back and i've been watching a lot of these old these reruns on mlb they're great they've been showing some good stuff Mm -hmm. yeah we're down the same time same you were you were at sports sync that i was there uh no no we i brought my family back down for spring training and it got canceled so we just hung out went to sedona you know oh shit i wish we had known you were there i had no idea idea we could have eat lunch six feet apart which i'm not joking about that it's yeah there's like there's some pretty good sushi in 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 scottsdale so that's what we got to look forward to greenhead gear a one-piece floating canada goose decoy this year is the head flocked is the head flocked yeah the head's flocked on them Yep, and I, I put them through the ringer this year, and they look great still. You know, text and me I a picture. I didn't bag them. I got quite a few enviros. I'll text you. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate right, your time, Travis Mueller, Avery Outdoors, Banded Brands. He is one of the OGs. I call him mm-hmm. of this whole revolution of decoys and Avery. Avery started in 1994. Travis started with him in 2001. We were there about the same time. We've come up together. I've hunted with him in Iowa. We've hunted together in Arkansas. We've ran together at different shows. He's uh, uh through a. Uh, duct tape baseball at me in the decoy room of the Memphis office and it it still has not landed yet (laughs) dude you threw (laughs) it like Mach 5 from 20 Uh, feet and you're a lefty you're 6'3 how tall are you 6'3 yeah I had to send a message 
Six three lefty from twenty <laughs> feet away, a throwing against the lefty. So, Travis, I love you, buddy. Thanks for your hey, time. Right, Averyoutdoors.com, banded.com. Check out the new offering from Greenhead Gear Decoys. Find them on Instagram at AveryGHG and at Banded Brands. A lot more to come down the road. Tom, hit that button. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, still concentrating on the essentials of duck hunting. Travis Mueller, thank you very much. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. <laughs>